It's a good day, gentlemen. It's a good day to think about responsibility. It's a good day to ask yourself if on a personal level you're willing to accept that. If you're willing to accept the responsibility that you have to protect this team and this school and this town. And make no mistake about it, gentlemen. We are in the business of protecting this town. We're in the business of winning. The expectations could be any higher. We will win state. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. We've been thinking about this for four months now. These seniors have been thinking about it for 17 years. Well, it's here now. It's time. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Friday Night Lights. Starring Billy Bob Thornton. There ain't much difference between winning and losing. Except for how the outside world treats you. Lucas Black. Hey, you go get at him. You throw some touchdowns, win some football games, maybe a state championship. Huh? We'll see if we can't find you a home in Kansas Wesleyan. <laughs> yes. Garrett Headland. You're not going home, Mike. I ain't going out drunk, fooling. How about I bring your mom some dinner so you can come out with us? Because we're going to get laid, we're going to get drunk, and we're going to win state, but not tonight. Derek Luke. Well, can I play on Friday? I think you got a slight tear. Can he play? Yeah, can I play? Can he play football? And Tim McGraw. You got one year, one stinking year to make yourself some memories, son. That's all. It's gone after that. Directed by Peter Berg. Do you like playing football, Mike? Yes. Is it fun for you? Lots of fun, sir. He loves the game. That's good. It's it's important. It's legitimate love of the game. It's supposed to be fun, you know. Greatest game in the world. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. I'll tell you the problem. They're doing too much learning in the school. It's Gally in Glasgow. Gally bum. It's definitely in London. Isn't that guy like 35? It's Patrick in London. Great grandma's drawers. I can't believe that. It's Matt in South Korea. Oh, welcome back, listeners, and welcome back, gang. And firstly, let's apologize to our um, our American listeners who might be from the South there. We've all decided to just be super, yeah. I'm going to assume this is, is this a, a blanket um, preemptive apology for the amount of... Um, <laughs> abysmal Texan accents that will be coming out during the course of this podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. But we've got just cause, Devlin, because we are doing my pick for a throwback, which was Friday Night Lights. Um, and the reason is it's nearly football season time. Um, <laughs> I watched the draft last week and I thoroughly enjoyed, well, just day one. Three days of it's too much, but day one. Oh, you gotta see who they take in the 14th round. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why would it take three days? Well, it's, everything takes longer in American football, Patrick. That's, that's how it is. Yard by yard. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So we're gonna do Friday Night Lights, the movie. So for those of you that have, uh, wanted to listen to a podcast about the TV series, we're not it. 
Get lost. Yeah. Thank you. Get lost. <laughs> Stay and listen to where the TV series came from and then go back to the TV series. We're going to be doing the movie. We will talk about a little bit about the, the TV series um, that sort of eclipsed it, which is why we're going to focus on the movie. If you Google it, you get that first. That's yeah. something I noticed. Gally, since it's your pick, how about for once you tell us your history with Friday Night Lights open brackets 2005? Four. Brackets, four. Four. Close, close, maybe next season. Matt said four there, but put three fingers up. <laughs> no, I was doing that, and then I said four. <laughs> I was, <laughs> sorry, I, I never learned to count. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh, no, we've done it already. My my history, it, it goes all the way back to uh, university again, Devlin. It was actually you, so it feels like uh, repaying Cyborg back with Friday Night Lights. So you introduced me to the movie. Um <laughs> And I, cause I'd never, I'd never seen it. Um, I'd, I, I knew Peter Berg, um, mainly as an actor, but I also really, and we'll discuss it. I really enjoyed Very Bad Things, um, which is a movie that does not get discussed at all. And it really should cause it's super mean spirited and fun. Well, it's very hard not to, but I got immediately hooked into the soundtrack, uh, Explosions in the Sky. But it was also a really good way because I was just at that time at university. We were starting to, you had already been an American football fan. I was probably on the periphery, played Madden on various computer consoles throughout <laughs> the years, had a basic understanding of just 10 yards, <clears throat> 10 yards, but everything else was, you know, completely oblivious to. There's a whole vernacular in American football that you've got to learn or well, you don't have to learn, but it's really, it can be a little bit gatekeepery. Um, cause there's a lot of stuff that you've got to pick up, but if you keep it nice and simple, it's quite a simple game. And I broke it down to it's chess with big blokes. That's how I see it. <laughs> so I, that's, how, that's my history with the media. Watched it at university, didn't we? And then pretty much as soon as I watched it, I was like, this is something special. Should, should we say that we're, we're going to refer to American football as football from now on and sock and football as soccer? No, we're not. I'm not referring to football as soccer. No. American football is American football, and football is football. Right on, Patrick. I'm with you. Let's do it. Football is football. American football is American football. All and that and that's we'll stick it to that. The 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 ball itself is a pigskin, and that's that's it. So if we refer to the ball, <laughs> Gally, can I go into my history then after on the back of yours? Because I'm now wondering if we saw it the first time at the same time together, because Devlin introduced it to me. And I was at your slug house at uni when I first watched it. <laughs> um, I, oh man, this is great. I don't know whether I've ever told you this, but there was quite a few of us in your living room. I think like Tim and Long were there and there was quite a few of us. It was like proper movie night and I was round and I, you guys were on the sofa behind me and I just, I think I sat on the floor watching it, the TV in the corner. I, re- I remember it so like, viscerally the the environment and i sat there and i watched this film and i was reduced to tears at the end and i didn't turn around and face a room full of eight men and one woman at university for like fear of like am i the only one i don't know what's behind me and i was trying i was really choking back these tears and trying to like compose myself before Fortunately, you get the little tidbit at the end, you know, saying what all the players are doing thereafter, because this is based on a, a, a book, 1988, a true story. And I had that time to compose myself and turn around like, 
Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> but We've I, discussed I, it, Patrick. Sometimes, oh man, I when was... smoke when smoke is introduced nah. to a confined space, people can get to <laughs> it. Wasn't, it wasn't smoke. It was pure emotion. And uh, I and he said something there, Gally, that I thought it was something special. I, I did as well. I was like, well, where did this film come from? And like, wow. And I've held on to it ever since. Like my tear stained sandwiches from two thousand five or six, whenever it is are going to be quite hard to contain in this, uh, Matt, just so you know. Um, and that was my, my history. And ever since, like, I, I watch it regularly. I recommend it a lot. I've got, I've read the book, watched the TV series. I was bought the beautiful photo book for, from the year. The book, um, the original book was written as well for Christmas. And that's my history with it. It was, yeah, with, with you, Gally. But Devlin, did you then recommend it to us because you saw it at the cinema first and your love of American football take you there? Um, so I didn't see it at the cinema. I couldn't tell you if it even got much of a release in the UK. It passed me by completely. Um, so it would have been 2006 that we all watched it together. So as, as a kid, I was a big NFL fan from the age of about six because I was the annoying kid in school who had family in the States. So I got to go and visit them. So what would happen is my dad would just take me and my brother um, for like five weeks because we would just go stay with people. So it was like it's it was a surprisingly cheap way to go on holiday. And we would just drive all around America. We had family up in Chicago, down in Mississippi, uh, in Arkansas. Uh, we used to do these big road trips throughout. And yeah, me and my brother became like super into American football. And I came to the film uh because of the soundtrack i was already a big explosions in the sky fan i've always been a bit of a post rock guy and um so i bought it on that yellow case dvd yeah. which, which is the mm-hmm. copy i still have and the one i watched uh this week and yeah I, I i really liked it and i assumed you guys would too so yeah that was that was my history with the film how about you matt i've had lots of people recommend it to me over the years my sister has watched the tv show and recommended that too um, but this one was always a mystery. I'd never seen it until prepping the pod this time. So I was, I, I don't know anything about American football. So I'm going to have to plead ignorance here. I'm a little on the outside. Um, I did have a 49ers jersey. I don't know where it came from, but is that um, Jerry Rice? I don't know. I just remember it was red and it was a 49ers jersey. And I, I have no recollection of how I got it, but that was probably my earliest memory of it. Uh, Peter Berg was a reference for this one. Um, as Gally said, very bad things is a bit of a guilty pleasure. I've watched it, I've, you know, a couple of times every year. It hasn't aged great for me. I, I think it's, I, I don't, I don't mean like in a, um, in a 2022 kind of uh, woke way. I just, it just, the, the humor is kind of, it's better when you're an adolescent. I think it kind of plays, it played a lot better for me when I was a, a teenager, but now it's, it gives you like this weird queasy feeling. So I was expecting something weird, but I, you know, we'll get to that, but it's nothing like very bad things, is it? It's, it could be a completely different filmmaker. We'd never know. Um, but I knew him more as an actor from, uh, something I nearly picked for the Rerotica series, uh, Last Seduction with, uh, Linda Fiorentino and, uh, Peter Berg plays the lead in that with Bill Pullman as the kind of, antagonist um varsity blues was more of my 
my zone mm-hmm. for this stuff, which is obviously more of a high school movie. And if, if you know, I was into American Pie and things like that, Varsity Blues wasn't exactly a leap because I was into Dawson's Creek and things. So the American football part of that was kind of secondary. Yeah. So I'm kind of on the outside on this one. So I'm going to, I hope to learn a lot from, from this one rather than being too, too judgmental, but I'm also coming at it as a, as a film. If, if the, the, the American football element is detached, I'm, I'm going to try and be the judge of this as a purely as a film, not as someone who knows anything about American football. So hopefully that's useful to the, to the episode. Patrick, could you remind us and the listeners of the plot of Friday Night Lights? In August 1988, the Permian Panthers in the town of Odessa, Texas are preparing for the next state championship season. A star running back, Booby Miles, quarterback Mike Winchell, running back Don Billingsley, Defensive end Brian Chavez and linebacker Ivory Preacher Christian head to the first day of preseason practice. They're in the business end of protecting this town. Can they accept the responsibility of winning? With coach Gary Gaines leading them, they will win state. They will win state. Odessa's a small town and when you screw up everyone knows about it. Can they be perfect? Bibi Miles appears so. The 45 is everyone's favourite player. He can spin left, spin right, don't make no difference. He can block, tackle, score the touchdown, snap the ball, hold the snap, and kick the extra points. Hell, the boy will fill up the Gatorade cooler, walk the dog, paint your back porch. And he can pass! But as the town shuts up shop to go to watch the first game of the season against Marshall, the Panthers comfortably ahead in the fourth quarter. Third string running back, Coma, forgets his helmet, and Booby Miles heads onto the field for another play. And he's taken down. His knee's injured. His beloved uncle, L.V., looks on as Booby grins in pain. Suddenly, the Panthers' season isn't such a sure thing. The town turns on Coach Gaines, and Booby is frustrated that he can't play again right away. Mike, Brian, Don, and Ivory, along with the team, need to find a way to win games after losing their main offensive fulcrum. These guys are 17 years old, but they don't feel it. The constant reminders to get themselves a state championship ring to win whatever it takes. An overbearing father, a sick mother... A whole town's expectant eyes and their futures, but some of the relenting pressures on the young men. But they ain't no curses. Against some pretty overwhelming odds, the players find each other. Coma emerges, Mike leads, Ivory tackles, human piñata Chavez comes out spitting candy, and Billingsley holds on to the football as they make their way to the playoffs. The mood lifted in the town, while Booby can merely look on from his sickbed. LV takes Booby to the best damn hospital in Texas, who hopes an MRI can fix his knee but confirms a significant tear. Ignoring the doctor's advice and allowing emotions to run high, Booby and LV tell Gaines his knee is fine and returns to the game day bench. He plays, but he's hit again. His football season and potentially his future over in that second. The Panthers lose and are in a three-way coin toss to decide the next game. Yes, I'm serious. They live on to fight another day, but the pressure rises again. This will carry them forever. It's an ugly fact of life that this one stinking year is their chance to make themselves somebody, make themselves some memories. After playing for ten years, at the end of this season, most of them won't play again as long as they live. They make it to the final. The shadows of bigger boys, Dallas Carter, loom large. Battered and bruised at half-time, they're losing. Time is running out. They need to rally. Mike and the players step up. They can be perfect. Dallas Carter are fast. They're big. They're dirty. 
plus they're fast. But the Panthers' hearts are fuller. And we're in the final minutes within touching distance of a state championship. Gaines wants to run it straight down Carter's throat. The brotherhood of the Panthers huddled together one last time. Winchell calls. I right wiggle. 34 switchblade for the state championship. Can they bring it home? My God. Patrick, the audiobook available <laughs> on our website again a bit like the was it robin robin hood the other audiobook which was uh was lovely was it robin hood that was long yeah. it was sorry a uh, long one not as long as um what i wrote for titanic i don't think just by quarter of a page but um i didn't want to condense that really here's my opening opening question and i think it will be the place setter for the rest of the discussion what do we think makes a good sports movie and do we have any hard and fast rules for the game, because I I have three. I'm going to pose my three, and then I'd be really interested to know. Do what you want to do? Think. Are you going to do three at the same time, or if we do it one by I'm one? No, I'm just I'm just going to say my three, and then and then and then I'll open it up to the floor and see if you've got anything different. So here's my here's my number one. The best sports movies are independent of the sport they're depicting, so it needs to have universal stories that should appeal to anyone, whether they know the sport or not. That's my number one rule for any sports movie. My number two rule, it's not about winning. So the idea of a happy ending, a la you win the trophy, Mighty Duck style, is not necessarily important. Can I quote, um, white men can't jump there. Sometimes when you lose, you really win. Sometimes when you win, you really lose. And sometimes when you win or lose, you really <laughs> or something like that is that right yeah. future episode white man can't jump i was gonna pick it actually Definitely. It's, it's such a great movie i watched it recently matt and uh that that film still holds up so much uh anyway yes absolutely right and my third one is it's a slightly broader one they mu- the film must capture the element of surprise and euphoria felt when watching live sports unfold and that one is the one where i think a lot of films tend to tend to fumble the pigskin um so that's my three rules what do you guys think and because i googled it because i mean i said offline i was like i'm pretty sure i'm not the first person to posit what makes a good sports movie i'm not um i went on google and there are millions of entries um but a lot of them i disagreed with because a lot of them talked about having a happy ending having uh, a central protagonist which this movie doesn't really have it it's it's following several people and i think they all get relatively equal footing um you could probably argue billy bob thornton but that's only because he's billy bob thornton in amongst a a, a sort of slew mm. of not many big name stars so what do you guys think of of rules i, I think your your golden rule galley the first one would be my only rule for it uh and many of my favorites aren't about the sport itself uh i think something like white men can't jump gets the balance right it's more about gambling and hustling and then relationships men and women and rivalry loyalty and friendship and all of these things that are kind of woven in that would be my favorite sports movie i think it's a bit like zombie films um me and devlin talked about that on on an earlier pod if the film is about the zombies themselves it's rarely as good uh, it, it has to be, you know, metaphorical in a way, or it has to represent something. Uh, it's kind of a device. So I feel like the sport can be a device, but it has to tell a human story. It has to ultimately be about people. Um, this one is an interesting one because it is 
as it's it's as much about what how, uh, the sport and how the sports team impacts the town and it's a study of an entire place and the centrality of sports within it which is unusual because usually a sports movie focuses on the personalities and the players within the sport and that's that's i think what makes this one a little bit unique in sports movies which is that um it's the the sport is a religion and the 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 town has its problems and you don't get kind of force fed all of this stuff it's just that that's the the conduit through which you look at this at this town and i can't think of another sports movie that's been as um uh concerned with that as concerned with the impact on how sports impact the people who are watching and living with them if that makes sense like uh you know in cool runnings they do cut back to the pub in jamaica with people watching but it's about those four guys and their relationship with john candy and it's you know maybe maybe something like jerry Maguire or like moneyball like the in the inner circle stuff might apply more but they 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 lack the action though i certainly don't class jerry Maguire as a sports movie as a sports no. movie. um yeah. romantic comedy right Devlin, the, the only thing i can think to like compare off the top of my head if you've seen the fighter and there's like the, the pride of lull, is it? You know, that it's got to be the pride of where they come from. That does and have it, elements of like it, yeah. Because I, I recall that in this and I started thinking about the similar thing Devlin said. Because these points are very good, Gully, and I think they're, that, that's what I look for in, in sports films. But I also kind of look for action uh, through the sport and to make it you, you said about the capture the element of surprise through like a live audience but i also think of sports films should excite in its sport as action and do that well because if it's not done well um we were talking offline about things like dream team with Hartchester united and <laughs> and uh ted lasso uh, and Renford's yeah, UK listeners will remember yeah. if they had sky Dream Team, Carl Fletcher, Star Striker. Yeah. Um, I think it was his name, Julio Baptista. Jamie something. But, and while I really enjoyed that program at the time, you know, like, it, I don't think it, thinking back, I don't think it would stand up now and <clears throat> maybe I was more forgiving back then. I don't have anything to forgive in, uh, a good sports film like Rocky or, or like White Man Can't Jump where you just think that, a, I don't believe the actors are capable of the sport that they're doing, or B, it's not shot well in a really engaging, exciting manner, just to expand your point three, Gally. Believing whether or not uh, an actor can can perform or do the sport, etc., that that tends to be something that I'm really not dreadfully... Unless it's distracting. So I'm thinking, God bless him, Sean Bean in When Saturday Comes, dribbling past the great Manchester United at the end. And it is laughable because it's literally like people, I know it's an order. As he runs in a straight line, they are, they are, <laughs> they are doing everything mm. they can to not tackle him. Um, and that kind of looks mm. a bit farcical and silly. If it, that's nothing compared to goal where he, he looks like he's trying to, <laughs> like, he's like tiptoeing with the ball and the way he kicks, his whole body moves with his kicks and he's both his legs are off the ground. Um, the way you, capture it or photograph the sport it is important um 
we talked in the Rocky episode about how deeply unrealistic the the, the fight between mm. uh, Apollo Creed and uh, Rocky is. Oh, it ruined it ruined boxing for me. I mean, I'm not a big boxing fan. I find I find it uncomfortable to watch. But also, then when you watch a real boxing match and it's just lots of just two big lads constantly hoiking their shorts up, and whereas in Rocky it's like yeah. two guys standing and then just throwing <laughs> haymakers back and forth. That's what I want. But even like something like Raging Bull wasn't quite yeah. realistic, but that plays very cinematically. And then uh, Scorsese's great at it. Like Color of Money as well was is another example of mine. That's technically a sports movie, I guess. And that's very What's the well film done. where it's Tony Scott and the opening sequence is American football in the rain? You know about uh, The Last Boy oh, Scout. Thank, thank you, thank you. That, that's an incredible sequence as well. The, the cinematic nature of that. Yeah, and, and it looks great. Like, you don't care about if you understand the sport there or anything. Because, like Matt, I didn't know American football when I first watched this film. My in to it was probably The Simpsons and Ace Ventura <laughs> laces out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I... <laughs> Put me in, coach. Just give me a chance. And they're the kind of, like, <laughs> my ins to American football before Devlin kind of kind of expanded my mind with this film and I, I've gone on to like take it you know, I watch the Super Bowl with you guys now and I it but for me like it you know, even those aren't don't they're not sports films really. Well the Simpsons, you know, American uh, Ace Ventura just uses it. And I don't know, have you ever seen Invictus as well? A rugby film. South Africa and in the World Cup in ninety seven, I think it was. And I'm a big rugby fan as well and Watching that, I thought they did a pretty decent job of how the sport works, and it's. Did they manage to make that look quite cinematic? Because one of the problems is with with football is that it doesn't translate to the screen as well. Mm. I'd argue as American. I think you've got to understand when to put it on screen and when not to. If you elongate something, it's not working. You're not. You you know, you're betraying the storytelling because you've got to edit it well. You've got to like manage it. And I think Invictus manages the rugby well. I think this manages the American football well. And the examples, the good examples we're giving manages the screen time and the choreography and, and how everything's shot. Mm. But then you watch something like goal, which is all mainly about the football and what he does on the pitch rather than then the, the social life after mm. like that doesn't do a good job yeah. of that. We'd asked a question off line listeners about have there actually ever been a good football movie or a good movie uh, that's depicted football well. So for our American listeners, soccer. Um, and I think the reason why American football translates better to screen and is more cinematic is the thing that a lot of people in the UK criticize the sport for, which is the stop-start nature of it. Because one of the things that Friday Night Lights does not show you, Matt, there's no field goals because field goals yeah. are boring. Uh, so there's there's one thing mm. straight away from the sport that Peter burr has gone, well, we don't need the extra points because it's just boring, isn't it? It's just someone kicking a pigskin through through a, <laughs> a, a, literally a post. And yet we have a match decided, a, a game decided by uh, the the flip of a coin. I mean, I think the Simpsons nailed it. Yeah, Mexico or Portugal, Ariaga, Ariaga too, <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's the middle to the back. The back passes yeah. to the middle. <laughs> that is the problem. Yeah, the amazing thing about football is watching how. Um, how you get these kind of rhythms to the game and then you get these undulations and then suddenly it breaks out. It's like, yeah, having the, uh, focusing in on, on the one dude and then having him 
jink past like six people and then bury it. It's bullshit. It very rarely, if ever happens. And it's usually the great thing about football is the interplay between the, 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 the players. It's like the, the striker has been running off the left shoulder of the last defender for 60 minutes straight. And this time he fakes it and then he goes to the right and he earns like one yard of space. You can't. But this is why then you capture the highlights properly and cinematically. You look at, uh, we haven't spoken about Moneyball yet within this. And that is, that is a film very much about point one here, Galley, which is independent of the sport. And it's about the, well, we kind of independent of the sport, but about how to make the sport better and how to, to problem solve. And we get the highlights on the pitch, you know, like, Oh, they're down, bottom of the ninth, they're down, they need a home run. Back, you know, like, really round. I wouldn't even say it's about baseball, it's about maths. And that's, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's the second, the the sport is secondary, but it it, it is about sport because it's about the maths of sport and the science of it. And, you know, if you, I've all, <laughs> well, if I've not said this before, which I don't think I have, I'm very proud Leicester City football fan. And in, you know, I've always craved a like moneyball type film about 2016 because, you know, we went from relegation fighting in 2015 to winning the Premier League by, with a 5,000 to one odds on it. And I think like, <clears throat> Underdog story. Yeah, like, you, you're right, or East Midlands Rocky. And things like that. But, you know, it wouldn't be, it's the interest for everything out of there, the players and the, like, I tried to put much into the synopsis again about the pressure. And the thing that about this film that I think is kind of unique to other films that I've seen is the pressure on sports films are usually on adults and adult athletes. And this is about 17 year old boys in, in a, in a midtown that was like, um, it, it was really torn apart in the eighties by millionaires just plowing it for oil, getting it, setting up a town and then leaving once the resources are gone and they're just left there. And these people have nothing to live for apart from they live, they shut down everything and they watch this because it's something to hold on to. And it's, it's fascinating. How you doing? Hey, Brian. How's our games treating you? Got you boys in line. Got y'all perfect. We're getting there. All right. How's your mom? Fine, sir. All right. Listen, you might want to get a quick shot real quick with the kid. A little picture here. Shot? Yeah, a little picture. Yeah, sure. Great. All right, sweetie. Let's take a picture. With my baby girl, the next Texas State Championship quarterback, huh? What's the damn camera? Where's your boy? You remember every minute of this. We're telling you right now. You're 17, but you go fast. Don't sleep. Don't waste a second of it. Because before you know it, it's done. None of the babies are members. You hear me? Babies and memories. Smile, sweetheart. Smile, give us a smile. Say mojo. Say mojo. This film, I don't think, holds a hand. Just well, a little quip on your hand in mine. But anyway, we go straight into preseason, and these people are hitting each other, and they're training, and we understand straight away the pre- like Matt said, like almost like a war film. They're preparing for war, and it's not like I, I. We have like the little commentaries and the cut to the commentary booth and the, um, the interviews, but we just understand there's a real social pressure here and a, and a sports game is being played and prepped for. And then when we, we see it on the screen, when they play that first game, they're winning, the, the way it's edited, the music's jubilant, everyone's happy, and the score, you cut to the scoreboard, we know the winning and, then you understand the bad stuff when the bad stuff happens because the tonal shift. And I, I do, do you think this film like 
dev does that and doesn't pander? I watched it alongside uh, Chiara yesterday, and she has very rarely, if ever, indulged in watching NFL with me. She's seen maybe half watched a couple of quarters over the course of the last few years, and um. I mean, for me as a, as a fan of the game, I don't feel like it's slowing down and, and signposting things too much. And for her, she had absolutely no issues following along. So it's, it's just based on that. I, I think both of us were equally engrossed within the film. I also having had seen it before a few times. Um, I, that's, that's the only kind of anecdotal that I can say is that she was emotionally invested. And because of how much of the, um, exposition actually comes on the field i think that must be testament to the way the actual sport itself is shot yeah i'd i'd second that devlin because danielle um really enjoys this movie so she's watched this melissa loves it yeah twice with me she's not really interested in american football although listeners i'm working on that um she what she does gravitate towards though is the human stories which the film starts to shift into when we're not on the field. So we watched the draft last week and like, like Danielle gives the monkeys about the bloody NFL draft, but she was really interested in, Oh, where are these guys from? And they're like, Oh, this guy's from Alabama. How old is he? Oh, he's 22. He's six foot five. Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden, you know, when they interviewed them, Oh, he seems like a, a very, very good Christian boy talking about his mum. And all of a sudden Danielle's getting interested now with the movie. She was immediately gravitates towards, um, the Winchell character. She was, she was very much felt his pressure. It's an insane amount of pressure. And, and I used to play Sunday League, uh, but there was no one in Catrick coming up to me and saying, <laughs> you better win. You better win there. Get one of these rings. You know, a pl- nobody... police officer. Imagine a police officer. Yeah, up they to do. Saying, yeah, you yeah. better win this Sunday League football game yeah. at 11 a.m. this Sunday. Okay. All right. The District League of Leicester. Cheers. It, it worked in reverse for me. That that really bothered me. The the heaped pressure for something in in my mind is actually quite trivial. So I had to f- find my way into the movie through that. And what actually unlocked the film is was a lot of the the talk of saving the town and representing the town and 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 the kind of Bruce Springsteen kind of thing of finding your way out. And, uh, the, the booby miles story and, and the injury, it, it, it seemed quite obvious having seen things like varsity blues, but when it does happen, it, it's, it's a necessary thing for the, for the dramatic kind of arc of, of this. There's some really nice mm-hmm. moments in it that it just always remind us, like the film starts off quite in a breakneck in that preseason. And then we slow down. We see them actually have some 17 year old activities, eating burgers and chilling out and, you know, on a Friday night. And then the, the parent comes up, you know, like babies and memories, boys, babies and memories. Yeah. And then like, and at, at the, at the party yeah. later when he, he, um, he sleeps with that girl in the, Winchell sleeps with the girl in the toilet. And this is the whole sentiment for me at the film and, and, uh, something else. And she says, you look like someone who, who's going to get the hell out of Odessa and never come back. And it seriously works for me. And it's mm. that small town kind of, they're, they're like, it's like a prison in a way. And, and I think the film got that across that yeah. they are really quite trapped by the expectation. And you can, you understand why, I mean, as adults, the, the real people are still there. They still live in Odessa. With that, the town as a character, why do we think it is that small town America have 
like a white whale is sporting greatness? Is it just the idea that, um, you know, a once great founded Western superpower country or prosperous areas, you know, oil and gas and, and then they're just, they're just deserted. And then the only thing they can hold on to is this trivial pigskin game. It sounds simple, Gany, but on the, on the bottom line, the baseline, that is the crux of it for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. We touched upon, like said, that, that Odessa was one of these towns that was just, oh great, there's oil. Let's go and get that. They set up. They had in the eighties at some point before 88, 84, 85 or something, um, Bissinger goes into it in Friday Night Lights, the book about how like it was a really prosperous town. And, and in Texas, in that area, there was hunt, like millionaires that just loads of them. And then the resources went. So they left, mm-hmm. setting up towns, setting up communities, and then leaving them, and leaving them in kind of squalor, and the rich for the rich, and the poor for the poor, a bit like today. But the problem is, like, they can't afford to move. So this is home, and it becomes a legacy, and it becomes a pride, and all of this. And what we have is Friday Night Lights, this big game, where the community can get together in this big stadium, and they invest in it because they believe in it, and it is holding on to success and something that is a big deal in America in the sport, Mm -hmm. football in England, American football there. It's amazing the draw that it has, but it can be that simple, Gally, that it Mm -hmm. is the most important thing for them. Is it not that someone who is also not Mm -hmm. academic or doesn't have the money and and never has that opportunity, this is the one way they can... And, you know, it becomes becomes families and communities and pride there because... They want what's best and they want them to succeed yeah. and it's, they don't have the money and the scholarship's so important. And like, look at Booby when he's like, I'm distinguished now. And he's got all these offers from Kansas and California and everything. And he's got full paid scholarship offer. And that's that the ticket out, the ticket out to be, to be rich, to be comfortable, to know a life they've never had. And like, and then to mm-hmm. say, to take your family with you, sort yourselves out. And to, like, Last Chance You looks into this amazingly as well, if you've not seen the documentary. Well, I was going to say, Patrick, I put it down in my notes. So I was like, you know, is there a Venn diagram that says that, you know, I'm not going to heap loads of um, all this on Friday Night Lights, but I can see the trajectory from a Friday Night Lights to a Last Chance You to an all or nothing. Cause they all, they, they all do the same thing, mm-hmm. which is they take they take a, a bunch of disparate characters, all at different points, all of different um, races, creeds, backgrounds, and they just show them grow through a season. Mm. Some of them succeed, some of them fail, some of them need to concentrate academically, some of them. And and that was the stuff that Danielle, that was the hook that I got into her for the draft was like, you know, this number mm-hmm. one draft is going to get paid an enormous amount of money. And the whole family is going to be there. And this mm-hmm. is their one. It's like winning the lottery, I guess. It's like, whoop. This is kind of the, the drive behind the documentary hoop dreams. Mm, yeah. 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 I think possibly that was, was a, um, a real catalyst for seeing these, these young kids. It was possibly one of the first times that in mass media, at least they'd understood and kind of were dramatizing the unbelievable stakes for, for, for the kids. And I mean, Friday Night Lights is an interesting case in that it is fairly very critical of how um how difficult this can be for these kids like it it the is it fun for you is like clearly it is not clearly these especially the likes of Mike Winchell is is kind of tortured 
by his by his time in football. But it takes quite a dispassionate sort of view of it in that it's not making a, a moral judgment as to whether we should or shouldn't be putting these kids through it. It just is what's happening to them. And the film is just dramatizing the stakes for them without making a moral judgment as to whether or not, you know, it, it's it's incumbent on the viewer to decide whether a 17-year-old should be getting hit hard enough to snap his entire knee. But um, uh, I think that element of it is quite an interesting one because it it's so central to this. The TV series takes it probably into a more kind of traditional TV drama route with, you know, it's more about the interpersonal dynamics and stuff. Whereas I think um, these kind of documentaries are an interesting one. And like you were saying about the draft, on the one hand, you've got um, documentaries which are quite critical about how hard it is on these kids and how that the psychological and physical pressure on them is probably too much. And on the other hand, you have the sport itself is milking this to try and create um, greater emotional attachments. Like um, a sport itself means nothing because it's just a bunch of people running up some numbers to a, a series of arbitrary rules. So it only means something if people are emotionally invested. And so the sport, especially American sports, are very, very good at manipulating your um, emotional attachment. And they do so by, like you said, at, the, at draft day, getting you invested in some kid you've never heard of from some Division three college. And it's like, I'm, I, I really hope he makes it. Same with um, All or Nothing. It's like, you know, that third string outside linebacker who wears funny <laughs> yeah. socks. I really want him to make the cut because I know that he wants to do something better. And when he's cut, it's like, you feel it. The shot that did it for me was uh, Booby and the garbage man. Yeah. He's watching yeah. the bin man. Yeah. And it's very on the nose, but it, it does it just in a second. In an instant, you get it. Mm. Well, let's talk about Peter Berg then. Fascinating guy. Um, had a fascinating career from where he, from where he started. Um, just a little bit of context on the director. Some people will know him as an actor, like I say, seen him in Cotland, seen him in The Last Seduction. Chicago Hope, if you were, you know, anti-George Clooney and thought, I'll go for the other one, thanks. Um, he was... Blasphemy. He was, uh, I know, indeed. Uh, he was, uh, you know, a regular on Chicago Hope. Um, if you like, is it, which was the, the Corky Romano uh, with Columbo, um, Peter Falk? It's absolutely dreadful. He's in that. He's one of the mafiosas. <laughs> Um, so most people might know him as a screen presence. Um, I really enjoyed Very Bad Things. And then he, he does Friday Night Lights. He's cousin to the, the author, Bissinger. That's right, isn't it, Patrick? Is, yeah. um, uh, and then, and then he really does do some shifts, doesn't he? There's a film in, there's one film in between, which honestly just confuses things even more. It's Welcome to the Jungle with yeah. The Rock and Sean William Scott. I read a little bit on his Wikipedia and there's an interview with him where he said he was, before he became an actor, he wanted to understand the industry. He wanted to understand how movies are made logistically and the economics. And I do wonder if that's kind of guided his path a little bit. But he's also got some pretty strong views. I mean, I don't know if you've seen that YouTube clip of him uh, chastising a Jewish uh, journalist for not uh, not joining the military. Right. Uh, that's interesting. Oh. Um, we'll put, we might put that one in the playlist. I watched it. It's pretty uncomfortable. It's quite, quite a few military things come from, isn't, isn't there? Like it, battleship, fine, but lone survivor. What's the Wahlberg? And, uh, lone, lone survivor. Yeah. And then what's the marathon? Become, what's the marathon? Oh, pa- Patriot's Day. He's basically become like a bit of it. I felt like he became a disciple of Bay, Michael Bay and his style. And then he's gone like too 
right wing for Bay. Well, he's he's like what? he's the the Michael Bay that's not having any fun, which is not yeah. really what you want. <laughs> I, I've got a problem with his tone. I, I don't really get his humor, and I think he thinks he's smarter than he is. And there's a kind of a cocaine madness to some. It's of quite excitable, isn't he? And he, yeah, he his choices as a director are very scattershot. Like Devlin mentioned, "Welcome to the Jungle." That's that's madness. And I don't see a through line with his work. And I don't think of him as an artist. I think of him as a as a hired hand. And his film filmography is really unusual. It kind of relegates him. It's hard to pinpoint for me like when he's been snidey and snarky mm. and satirical. Particularly in this film, because I didn't really get much of it. I feel like it's played quite straight for him. And, and I appreciate that because I think this material should be handled that way. And, but the problem with that is a lot of fun is kind of stripped out when you attack a film that Mm. way. But this one's quite dour and less of a laugh. It is, it did feel appropriate for the material. Because I know how politically charged he is. It was more of a general question about. You know, normally a movie is a mission statement, isn't it? By the end of it, you, there should be some sort of morale, there should be a moral tale or some kind of lessons learned, you know, the old South Park thing at the end of the lesson. What have we learned? And with this one, this one, I get the sense of it, but, but in other, in his other movies, he's very, very anti-Islam, very pro, which is nothing wrong with being, nothing wrong with being flag waving, but to the point where I'm like, your beliefs are spilling. They're, they're all over the screen to the point where this is yeah. now almost propaganda. And I remember Spielberg got fucking slammed for Munich for being like mm-hmm. showing kind of both sides and then not concluding it with, but, but they're the wrong ones. The Palestine's the bad boys with, you know, Israel's good. How about if, like, if you want to play devil's advocate, there's also this idea that an artist should voice their stance mm-hmm. on something, whether you agree with, with him or not. He has a political point of view. And if it bleeds into his work, then. You know, fair enough. Freedom of speech. First Amendment rights, isn't it? Do you think it's led into this film, Matt? Uh, well, only because I sort of retroact, I don't know if it's retroactively or not, because I don't really know too much about his work with Marky Mark Wahlbergers, but I think he's just making the same film over and over again, isn't he? <laughs> Spoilers though, or at least, you know, from my opinion of it, I think it's a very good film and I think it clicked. And then I think because the two films before this were so different, you had a, a kind of a nasty anarchic black comedy, uh, and then you had a weird mainstream comedy that nobody really asked for. Which one were Hancock's? The um, Welcome to the Jungle, oh, yeah, aka yeah, yeah, the yeah. Rundown. Um, and and I think he is yes a, a, a very jingo. I think he is very um, pro military, and I think that's a weird stance to take at, t- at times just because you can't be pro military as a as a abstract concept without being pro war in a way i think if you are in the military it is a different thing if you are in or involved in the military that is a completely different thing i think as a as an outside observer though i find it weird to be a fan of the army and he seems like he is and i find that specifically to be that's what feels uncomfortable like he pushes so hard on like wanting to, to, to get these very jingoistic stories out there, you know, very America centric, America first almost. And that is uncomfortable because it's like, but it's not your tale to tell. And it feels that's, we talked about, um, the, the sense of sometimes uncomfortable exploitation in certain films. I don't feel it in this. I feel like in this one, 
it's a sympathetic portrait of kids being put into a situation which is kind of unconscionable to put them in but i don't think he's making a moral judgment on that and i think that works i think what what happens later is that you know you're dealing with like life and death and and did, unlike a michael bay who's just out of his fucking mind hmm. and it feels easier to take do you think devlin that part of the problem is there that some of those stories that he's telling, he, he's looking for a story and an adaptation. Whereas this was a genuine interest in a book that the mm. story and the, the plot and the characters are all kind of already fully fledged and developed for him. This, um, I'll call it a little bit easier to, to, mm. to faithfully adapt something that already explores like, um, how difficult it is for, for, for these people. Yeah. It's a manageable scope too. It's a, you know, it, it's, he's not trying, it's like Matt, you said the, the dude seems to think he's smarter than he is. So it's like, yeah, he's trying to get involved in like international geopolitics and he's can't. Whereas this, he understands. But did you is- read any of this as being metaphorical of war? Uh, there's some stuff here with the kids yeah. being drafted in yeah, when they're yeah. too, too young. I mean, the 17 year old kids are sent to war. Well, that, that mm-hmm. may have been his interest because we, we've established he has an interest in all of that, Matt. But from like, if there are metaphor in the film, I think that's quite vague. I think the film is about young, young men and the pressures of society within the high school football and especially in Texas. You don't think it's 80s. broader than football? I don't think, yeah, if we're, if we're going to put it into the time and place in the late 80s and let's say there's Gulf War, I don't see in this film anything explicitly metaphorical towards the kind of context of where America was at that time. I wondered about that because, because the film was made in 2004. So it's, yeah, is it when that, the movie was made? Think about like the yeah. music. They were putting out American Idiot at the time. That's the, the other side of the, of the coin, you know? And it's funny you said the music because in the score in here, there's a lot of uh, military drumming. Like they're preparing for battle and everything. And I haven't really thought about that before. Uh, there's an idea of PTSD as well. This idea that yeah. once the sport is over and you're out or you're injured, you can never live up to, you, you can never get back to where you were, you know? I think what, I think my thought was, Matt, that it's not, um, uh, an on the nose thing like Lone Survivor, like, uh, right. uh, the, Patriot's uh, the, Day Patri- and, like the yeah. uh, oil rig film. It's just interesting. This is maybe there's a vein of, to it though. Um, maybe this, maybe he's, but there is, you have to make that comparison. Like yeah. late, late 80s story and the, the young men being sent out to do a job for older men who are guiding them. Absolutely. It's there. It is there, but if you I want to read really it. It's there, but it's before. not, it's not crucial. Yeah. I, th- I think uh, that's, that's a really good point especially like you said the the era it was made that was in the air we were in about the most kind of reactionary and jingoistic time you could have because uh, america had gone through a a a trauma and was a a permanent state of war and they're literally on the grounds of of oil you know like the the conflict of both the eras we're talking about when the book came out and 2004 now i totally agree and i think to just go back to what you said patrick about in his later career searching for those types of stories Mm. well that's that's every filmmaker ever isn't it you know you gravitate to the work that that speaks to you um i think what peter berg hasn't done is he hasn't probably challenged his own interests and what he should do is probably think i'll tell you what i'll do some counter programming and maybe i'll tell a story that's well out of my wheelhouse which he hasn't done for a very long time because i think the business side of him is also 
speaking to him, which is these movies make money and very bad things didn't make any money. Welcome to the jungle didn't make any money and needed it. Uh, you know, Friday Night Lights got a TV series, but as we've already mentioned, it, it's been eclipsed. It eclipsed the movie. Like uh, Devil's Advocate, although I may not agree with him politically, if if this is playing on any kind of allegorical level, that's an in for someone who isn't necessarily 100% on board with the football aspect you know you can read it in uh, in yeah. different ways it's about mm, the, yeah. the the youth as you said patrick old men telling young people uh you know sen- sending them out to do to do these things and it's all it, it all can be read that way if you want absolutely go get go get your medals yeah Pr- protect the town he actually says protect yeah. the town yeah you're in the biz he calls it a business of protecting the town as right. well which i suppose there is a lot of allegory in that as well and on peter berg as well galley I wanted to ask, like, how much of this film's kind of success visually and how it portrays all this is down to Peter Berg? And how much is it down to the second unit director, Alan Graff? I remember borrowing that DVD of Devlin's, and I believe it's got the commentary with Peter Berg on it. And, uh, and Buzz Bissinger. But yeah, the yeah. screen. And, and, and he does, and I, and this is, again, speaks to how the movie's kind of late, stayed in my head. I remember him explicitly saying, that he wanted all the American football sequences to feel like war, mm-hmm. a battle. And that's the way it's shot. We're the back way it's to cut. war again. Yeah, the way it's shot, the way it's cut, uh, the music. So, and I remember him talking about the end sequences in the Astrodome. And he was like, the editor kept putting different music tracks. And eventually they just hit on the Stooges. And um, it was like, this, this fits perfectly with the cut. And I, so I think... It was by design. What do you know about the second assistant? Do you know anything about? Well, him? he he was um he's a very successful second unit director. Uh, Alan Graff he did Double Team, which I thought you'd like. Ah. Uh, Waterboy, and and like <laughs> some of the American football stuff in there is fun and shot quite well, you know. And especially from like a stunt perspective with big hits and mm, yeah. convincing hits. Waterboy has very convincing hits in it, mm. and any given Sunday. Mm. Yeah. So, so he, 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 he was drafted for a reason and there's a really great, I can't remember the title of the, uh, DVD extra, uh, it's Gaines or something. And Alan Graff is literally drafting players. They do a casting call. They get thousands of people and he's there like, if you're not a football player, you're wasting people's time for football players and I need football players here. This is, you're going to be working nights. You're going to be have to, you're going to be to hit hard. Yeah. You're going to have to do that. And he drafts them and they go through a five week program and he whittles them down to a squad of 40 of like experienced people who know how to play American football. And it was a really extensive thing. And I think there's a real great pro- process in that and in, in, you know, the actors were involved in it and to learn and they choreographed each play just like a playbook hmm. and like the playbook, like the chess that Gally was on about. And so we're doing the shot. What was on the shot list today on your schedule on your call sheet? We have, okay, we're doing 12A, 12A. What's that? I write wiggle 34 switchblade, which I know Matt likes. Okay. So then all the actors know where they are. You dress the background, you dress everything else, but they know what play they're running and they learn how to hit and they learn how to hit convincingly. You know, like you go into that environment as a supporting artist, you're not going to hit someone on the first day. You're going to shit yourself. But they, they were drilled to like your football players. That now. could be you the key, you know, because there's, there's an entire choreography to that. And then I don't know how many cameras will capture that. When we talked about the football 
it seems like it's one player running through a crowd of others. That this is a, and it's like a dance. It's choreographed as a mm. as a full piece. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's shot with a long lens, and that long lens, I tell you, does wonders yeah. for it. You shoot through, you got the movement. You get you get away with the sins of the background because you can't fill the stadium all the time, uh, and you, you you design each shot. You know where you're looking, and this film, for me, on a technical basis, especially with the football um, scenes, is extraordinary, and and like it's seamless you don't for example like the crowd like that's that's my job and i look and they use a lot of inflatable crowd in the stadium and they use a lot of crowd replication and the vfx and you don't know it's there it is seamless you fill those things when they walk into the astrodome <laughs> the astrodome's not literally full it's it's inflatable crowd is just a funny i know funny I've, I've just i've got the um i've got the i've got the pilot from airplane <laughs> <laughs> so i when i worked on assassin's creed a few years ago we had inflatable crowd for the um stonemasons building and around and up in the top and they were literally torsos that you blow up and you put clothes on <laughs> and you sit them down and it's from a distance it looks like you filled all those seats and then you put real people in and amongst them for your movement and everything up and down i'm also picturing um the macaulay culkin in home alone where he's got the one <laughs> 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 uncle uncle frank <laughs> hey, <laughs> Get out of here, you nosy little pervert. <laughs> oh, you're cooking, Frankie. <laughs> the, uh, the other element that works, uh, wonderfully is the sound design. So there's one, it's again, it's an audio podcast, but for those listeners that are going to watch the movie, one of my favorite shots is just, I mean, it's so ridiculous. I mean, to, to the, the idea that the American football is realistic, it is realistic to a point and then it goes OTT. There's a shot of a guy who jumps for what it appears to be a plane for a tackle <laughs> as he as he swoops in and the sound but the sound design is like of a lion roaring coming mm. in from the side and i think it's actually, at 100 frames that shot as well isn't it, it you know, is it's so like... fu- it's so funny it's during the astrodome bit and it's just yeah. like <laughs> but again it's you know the game is war and i so i do think peter mm. burgers he's he's he wanted that but also the pseudo documentary style that he employs for the 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 more realistic the the quieter mm. moments the human interaction stuff feeds into that that kind of it's almost like a, a Paul Greengrass style of yeah. shooting isn't yeah. it it's just it's it's where um, and I remember and and we'll do Saving Private Ryan I'm sure one day in the future but Spielberg you know telling his camera operators just react like don't we're not gonna actually design it you i want you to react that moment with that that on the beach at the beginning and there's a supporting artist with his leg off and mm. he's screaming mm. spielberg didn't tell him to pan down and see that guy yeah, screaming it's just, and it's just, just, just it's a natural thing so yeah. it's, it's it's having camera operators almost as if they're actors just whatever's happening just react to it and and go with your instincts i think there's a similar thing that's being employed here and the the beautiful thing about american football is it's perfect for that kind of thing because it's so stop start. But it, but it's also the choreography galley is like showing everyone what the expectation is. It's not randomness. It's not you know it. it you can plan it. It's really well. Well, you can. Of course, you can plan an American football play. But one of the beauties of the sport is that if you follow the play and nothing interrupts it, then it will go down exactly as you planned it. 
but that's not American football. There's another start, there's another team that are doing something that's going to disrupt that. And then you get chaos, which is what I think he captures in the movie in those sequences. Mm. I, I also like like the zoom lenses that find things, like two elements in one shot, like coma yeah. sprinting down the line. And then we, we pan straight to gains. Like, where did he come from? Is that coma? And LV, when boobies injured on the pitch and we zoom out and then we focus on yeah. LV, these are extra, like real visual things that, some filmmakers would cut and that'd be two shots if we can integrate it into this documentary style thing. I, t- I think I took that for granted. That is one of the biggest qualities of the, of the film, the visual aspect and the fluidity of, of, of all of that. I think I just took it for granted and I, I looked at other things to nitpick, but um, I, I think you're right about this being Berg's best and certainly visually it's, uh, it's cracking. There was, there was moments at the start where I thought that, I'd, I'd forgot just how frenetic sometimes his camera, how jittery that camera is, even in the, in the calmest of scenes, even when it's just two people talking on a bench, there were times when I just, I thought it was a little heavy handed and I'd forgot just how kind of, how jostled you feel all the time. But I, 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 by the end of the film, I think the whole sweep of it justifies it because if you dropped the pace in those sequences, you would struggle to raise it back up and it would jar visually. I did have a, a problem. I realized at a certain point where he is not going to modulate this. This is going to be consistent through the entire thing. And that bothered me. But I think I must have let it go at some point because I, I, I've, as an overall experience, I, I enjoyed it visually. I don't find though with all that style that you miss things. You know, sometimes that kind of element of, camera work and editing you feel like you've missed a detail or perhaps you'll see it on the next viewing you've seen it several times perhaps there's more for you to enjoy because of that i think it's just more that you feel you feel a bit hassled though to start at the start yeah but but i i but i think on the overall sweep it actually works i think it's Mm, it's it's kind of an essential setup yeah i think you'll know as a viewer whether or not the movie's working for you there's a quiet conversation when coach gary Gaines, billy bob thornton goes to visit mike winshaw and they are having they are literally whispering because his mother's asleep in the other room and the camera is doing things that in that in that scene you would never normally see it because they're even speaking quietly and then it's racking focus and then it's pulling if you're distracted by that then the film's not going to be working for Mm. you but i was not and if anything it kind of it heightened everything for me do you want to play college ball do you want to get out of this town Think so. Well, why aren't you doing something about it? My mind's not right. One of these days, you're going to have to get out of this house. You're going to have to leave her. Yes. You got to accept the fact that people have to take care of themselves, and that includes you. You understand that? Yes. Okay. The truth is, against some pretty overwhelming odds, if if you do decide to accept that, look at me, Mike. If you decide to accept that, You're going to seriously fly, son. 
we cut we cut to his eyes at one point in that scene as well. It's like, can you get it done? And we go mm-hmm. straight to his eyes and into his soul, and we like really trying to figure out the. It's all pressure, and but it all it also helped me look at Coach Gary Gaines as like this. Obviously, he's a coach, but he's like this wise sage who keeps and it helps that billy bob thornton's got a lovely cadence uh with his southern southern do- tones um but it, it feels like every word he says is like pr- prophetic and like the most deep and meaningful thing is like you can really fly son you're like jesus christ he can <laughs> that, that's a good lead into one of the the best discoveries here or a rediscovery was uh billy bob on uh qtv with gian gomeshi where he had his bl- his infamous blow up, where he was on with his band. I've forgotten what his band's called. Oh, but, don't um, don't forget his band. He'll kick off at us as well. Yeah. Well, it, I'm not. I'm not just Billy Bob Thornton, the actor. You know. Asshole. That's amazing. He he turns every question into an awkward response, and his band members are kind of sat around. Like uh, I think one of the YouTube comments said they were like battered wives, and they oh, dan God. they dance speak. Uh, and Billy Bob decides at one point that he's going to answer every question with a different uh, response. The Box Masters, thank you, Devlin, is the name of Billy Bob's band. Apparently, they're a combination between uh, the the British Invasion and hillbilly music. I think he says something like that. <laughs> um, and he, I wonder if they he, ever went on tour with uh, Thunderbox. Steven Seagal's <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> blues explosion um, and, and Ru- Russell Crowe's uh, headline mum- mumble grunts 40 yeah. foot of grunts or some shit yeah it's yeah, really yeah. really fascinating I called them the merry men at some point anyway. uh, he, he asks him if he if he learned anything from Willie Nelson and Billy Bob says I never met him and then he answers <laughs> almost every question with I don't know what you mean uh, and then at the end, he says, are you going to perform for us? And he said, the band are going to do an instrumental version of the song. And he Brilliant. sits it out. Yeah. So it, wow. it's really interesting to watch. It's fascinating to me to watch, um, you know, this is what actors are. Um, they're able to embody different, different roles, different characters, but I still struggle to believe that coach Gary Gaines could be bad Santa, but he's so great in this. Like he, <laughs> he plays it with such an earnestness and a, such a calmness. But then there are moments when you do see how cold and callous he can be. Did you not feel at the end that, that he was lacking in, in, um, like he, he, well, he wasn't being genuine and honest when he says, I think the quote is being perfect is about you and your relationship with your family and, uh, uh right up to the clear, clear eyes and love in your heart. That feels like a team talk to me rather than, um, yeah. And that's fine because that's what they needed at that time. I, I always see that and as what like- he needed. That's what they needed at the time. And we come to the resolution and he's coached them as far as he can coach them at this point. Why, why grill them and coach them even further about, are you playing football? You think you're playing football? You don't need that in that moment. We're at the end now. And I think Matt, it works as a confessional for him, you know, in the, you know, to just separate reality to, to fiction, uh, Booby Miles quit the team. Once he was injured, he got injured in a scrimmage game. He didn't actually get injured in the first game of the season. All of, you know, the Booby Mars stuff post-injury is pretty mm. much fictitious, but it works in the genre of the movie and he's there and he looks at him. And to me, it feels like a confessional where he's like, I've understood now what being perfect is too, because he did put him in harm's way. Like, I can't, I, you couldn't possibly think that coach Gary Gaines, this, the smartest man in the room wouldn't know 
that if he puts Booby out there, he's going to potentially take take him out for the rest of his life. What about the line, uh, people need to take care of themselves with the sick mother and he's mm. kind of p- pushing to leave her behind. Did you not find anything dislikable about Gaines? I think there's a polite desperation there. And, you know, we talk about the pressure of the context in the film. And yeah, I do, Matt. I think like it's a real thing he's putting on Winchell and for his own gain, not no pun of the coach gains, but it, he's got, he, he's, you can't forget that Gaines has the pressure on him as well. All the for sale mm. signs in his garden and his 60 grand salary. And everyone's like, if, if he wins, it's worth every penny. If he loses, he can die essentially is, is the, is the attitude. And that moment for me reminds us that he's got the pressure as well as the kids. And it's, and he's doing everything he can because he's designed his offense around one player. We've been told mm. that and they're trying to fix it. And Winchell is, as we've come to learn, is a really strong character. But Gaines is in that moment, yeah, not not very nice because it's his own thing. Who who were you rooting for? Who who were the characters that you felt attached to? Because I I I left Gaines at, at some point. There wasn't enough to keep me with him. Well, that's a really interesting thing because I've written down here. I've watched his film several times, and on one viewing, I'll be all about Billingsley. On one mm-hmm. viewing, I'll be all about Booby. On one viewing, I'll be all about Winchell. I think, um, you know, like Chavez and Christian, that they have the lesser rounded characters within it and they, uh, help the other characters along. Like Chavez is smart and we're told not to worry about him. And I think we naturally don't. And I think Christian, I, uh, I would Christian, it, actually he's got a very interesting story in real life where he was really torn between religion and football and he didn't want to play football as a And his stoic kind of, um, character really works in the film as that side but the, of the three sometimes i'm i don't know it depends on my mood i mm. last last night when i watched it uh, the, again ready for today i was all about booby the first time i watched it I was all about billingsley and i've flitted between winchell in between Gaines is the you know he's the important senior character and actor and that's why you get someone like billy bob thornton in to help or, or them along but booby for me, like it really tears me apart. And a question of whether he is MVP as a performance, because Derek Luke is really fucking brilliant. He, he is really good because you, at the beginning, you are you are like the other team members. You should be looking at him like this guy is is doing my head in. Like he really is. And and that's that's the tragedy of it all. The bit that always cuts me up is knowing now what will happen is when he can't read those letters, you're like, oh man, you've got, you have literally got nothing else. Well, I wanted to hit Matt with another little Shakespearean pr- prophecy within it. Like when they're having dinner pre-season, Coach Gary Gaines says to him, you'll get everything you deserve this season. And when they're in the mm-hmm. weights room, Winchell says to him, you didn't leave. He's like, this is God given. All I got to do is turn up. Well, that Booby's arrogance and, and kind of dislikability in the first act I felt sort of worked against the film because when he does get the injury, I didn't care about him as much personally. Oh, I understand did you not? how it, in, well, well, because he, the, the, the film has made him dislikable and, and arrogant. And, and I understand how it impacts the team, but I didn't feel for him because he'd been tarnished. 
And then he didn't, I'm just getting to the, one of my favorite, when we get to favorite scenes, it's obviously the one in the car. Just do it, Matt. It's the car. It's if you have not shed a tear there, then you are. Well, well, I didn't, I I, I saved a single tear for, um, for the end. I did roll one, but uh, it was, uh, (laughs) a different, a different point. But, um, what's the, the, what's the line in the car? Because it, that for me, I got to do another play football. We yeah. practice no, and we practice. Oh, it's it, for me, it's when he says, I wanted to, I wanted to buy a house. I'm like, oh, you see, promised I would go, make the there. pros. Yeah. You said I would make the pros. I wanted to buy you a house. Uh, yeah. that's the, that's yeah. the, and, and I think that's the quietest, probably the, I say quietest. It's the least amount of jiggle in the camera. Uh, and, and it really <laughs> I, does work. And, and that, and that is one of those kind of, that's how you tell. Uh, that's how you do a scene, wrap up a scene visually as well. Cause you've got the stadium in the background, the car, there's no, there's, yes. there's one person going into the building and yeah. it's desolate, isn't it? It's quiet. But it's the Permian Panthers text from the stadium that's on the reflection of the car. That's like, it's really well framed. And he holds because that on, on like the permanent reminder overshadowing, um, looming over him, the legacy of all of this. And we see it in the reflection. It's just really well composed. He has that swagger even when he's walking out. He's putting it on. And then I thought he has to break now. He has to. And then the film gives it to you. And when the film gives it to you, it it worked, I think. But there's this kind of British thing, this British mentality of this guy's cocky and, you know, let, let's cut the poppy down and all all that. But it, it worked. It worked. I thought it wasn't working. But when that scene dropped, it was it was great. How are we going to do that? I can't do nothing else but play football. Hey, hey, don't worry about that. Don't worry about I can't be doing nothing else. Right, I can't do nothing else but play football. What? We practiced it. We, we practiced. You told me who's going to go to the pro. I thought we're going to do it on my knee. Oh, my boy, somebody else. No, I went down to play your house. <laughs> between all three characters i think there's a real theme of uh the kind of fr- fragility of men and a lot of unsaid things and when booby cracks and funny says the things you know like that we it's such a release and like uh, uh the stop has been put on you pop the cork and it's real flood of emotion but Billingsley unsaid things with his dad that come to a crooks and in the end the resolutions a wordless uh, embrace mm. and Winchell you know like says things on the phone but you don't hear what the brother's saying and all these unsaid things and all um, uh, you can tell that these kids don't understand and they're growing up and they're immature but they're trying to be mature in this world that needs mm. them and it's really hard well billingsley became my emotional through line that he's the the abusive father right yeah who's who's also nominee for alan rock who it is award tim mcgraw faith hill's husband who i've now been listening to all week by the way because uh, i have started to get into country music he's very good Oh, he's a very he's good. a massive country uh, star in America, and he was in The Blind Side as well. I think performances across the board are pretty like excellent in this film, but I, I do like Headland, uh, Matt. I think Eric Headland does a great job as Billingsley. There's um the scene after he's kicked his the scene with the tape. The tape, the tape well, scene, tape. which has another Very Alan Rook uh, nominee in that scene. It does, it does. Alan Rook, who it is, award. 
And it's it's Amber Heard, a very, very young Amber Heard playing Maria, Hello. who now I'm just going to, you know, topical at the minute. I'm just going to say my say my piece to oh, the God. microphone Here we go. Do it. to Johnny. Listen, Johnny, all I'll say is I don't think Winona Ryder would have had a shit on your bed. She might have stolen your bed. Yeah, she might have stolen <laughs> your bed and stolen one of your bottles of wine and likely your Captain Sparrow outfit <laughs> in, your, in your cupboard. I thought you were going to say Amber Turge for a minute. But she would not mm. have dropped fecal matter on the bed. That's all I've got to say. We'll move on. <laughs> Dangerous ground. Dangerous ground. <laughs> Retreat. It is. We, um, we'll, we'll check with the lawyers and whether or not we can, uh, keep that in the, the episode. Rotten born. <laughs> but that, that, that seems great. <laughs> Follow, following on, I, lo- I love the way Charlie, um, McGraw reacts to, is he from your same gene pool, Charlie? And it really like snaps a nerve with him because, um, Billingsley keeps dropping the ball. But after that scene, when they've lost and we go to the three way tie, and Charlie kicks the car windows out and throws his state championship ring out the window. Yeah. But after that, and he's there and he's spitting tobacco into the cup and his dad's like, I'll fix the car in the morning. We had a lot of unsaid things between them. That scene and Billingsley's on the verge of tears and you know that he's kind of like, you know, high school star and heartthrob and cool guy and, but him and his dad, that scene really cuts me up. Um, when he slams a ring on the table and, it's hard. It yeah. is. It's, it's it's physical and emotional abuse. Um, but it's interesting, Patrick, is you've actually pointed something that I didn't put in my notes, but I really should have done because it's super obvious. Is that it's interesting how this movie is really is a kind of a boy's film, a man's film, because we're dealing with men's traumas, men's emotional issues. There's very few women actually in the movie. You know, we've just talked about Amber Heard. Better better on the sofa than on the bed, I think. Um, but you know. Less than that. <laughs> but there aren't that many, there aren't that many female characters in the movie, yet Danielle really enjoys it. Um, you said Melissa really enjoys it. Kiara got emotionally, you said Devlin emotionally uh, engaged. That's a small sample size. It's not necessarily just a boys movie because it's a boys sport about boys being boys. But it's investment in people. You don't think, I don't think, we spoke about in Titanic, the kind of, um, the, uh, how to honor true people that you're portraying on camera. And, and these are real people. We're using their real names and they were kind of involved in the film as well. Like that scene at the end when he says, I want you to close your eyes and think of Booby Miles. Booby Miles is stood next to the actor playing Booby Miles in that shot. Cry every really time, Patrick. I cry, cry every, every single time. <laughs> just can't help it. And, but I think there's the responsibility of portraying them justly and kind of accurately and faithfully has come across in this film and i think a lot of that comes uh, through to the audience that we're watching the documentary style gets you into kind of a mindset you let it wash over you you can think you're watching real people here and and the investment is really is there through the performance the direction and the story it's the storytelling there are three moments at the end there that it ultimately built to for me. There was the 11 seconds left and they call their final timeout and I'm starting to get the emotion and get some chills. And then there's a very quick cut to Winchell's mum at home when he makes the touchdown that I really, that really hooked into me. And then the final one that did get the tear managed to squeeze one out of my dark soul. Uh, when the drunk, the drunk dad, uh, give, gives the, the the championship ring. Third and, cry for, and, for me. 
<laughs> you get three. Um, well, that was very effective. The, the build of it all up to those three moments at the end. The music is, is so is key to that as well. Like the, the score yeah. kind of just, it almost, the, the wonderful thing that they do, similar to what, um, a similar technique used in Rocky, we don't hear the result just like at the end when they don't make it. You kind of see the Dallas Carter team, uh, run onto the pitch. We don't really see them celebrate at all. There isn't really a sense that the game's even done in a way. You just see that ball short of the line and the lads on their knees. Mm. And even like we cut to a cheerleader who's just distraught and you understand the impact of it all. Right, team, I've been waxing Booby's uncle's car for the last (laughs) last hour or so, (laughs) but... Can we talk about the zebras in the room? Um, now we've already mentioned about Peter Berg and some of, uh, you know, not being a particularly subtle director. I do, and I always have done with the movie and even on that first viewing, but I guess testament to the fact that it didn't really bother me as much because I understand in a sports movie, there are good guys and there are bad guys. And those bad guys can sometimes feel like Mr. T in Rocky three. Um, I do think it goes a little bit cartoonish with the Dallas Carter stuff. Cartoonish is a is a strong word to describe it, and I know what you mean that because we get the deliberate news broadcast about all oh, roads seems to be leading to Dallas Car- Carter, and you know they're constantly oh, they're big boys. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, they are. No, no, I'm fine with all of that, Patrick. It's more, it really is the fact that the movie, and this is where a running time for a movie doesn't have enough time to dig into all of these issues there's just a slant that just feels slightly uncomfortable and they have that conversation which is one of the yeah. one of the better scenes where they're talking about well how many referees and are our people are different to your people it's just different mm. that all feels fine but then the depiction of the actual team i get what you're saying but they are an all-black like high school from an all-black area and it, nine, late 80s texas you know, like things are, are kind of fraught and, and there and there's no nuance, I guess, is my point. Take that aside. What's the problem in building up a competition? Like someone to beat here and to, to give them like to say, here's the, here's the standard that you've got to be at to win. And they've got to raise their game. And uh, yeah, they're barking and it's wild, but it's, it's all for, you know, like when the boxing film and people come out and it's an intimidation and the intimidation was there and that's you know that gives a reason to them them being battered in the first half because they're not used to it they're not used to the element of the people of the size and the skill look at ivory first time we've seen ivory in the film like kind of out of his comfort zone but they've got to learn and adapt and that's where we get the second half and they've dealt dealt with it i I get what you mean and I, i i just not a problem for me. I just feel like it would have been nice to have given them a little dimension. The the one person that does is well, that's the, coach. the coach. Yeah. But I wish the team had like even just someone one of the Dallas Carter teams like picking up a penny and pad them. It's it's a tough one because I think um you can end up justifying a lot of things which can sometimes be if you noticed it then then that's fair. I I guess I hadn't I probably was more like Patrick which is that I understood that they were they're essentially an obstacle to overcome. So that is true. They are dehumanizing them because that, that's, that's how they come across in the film. They're not, you know, they are a, a big, very intimidating team and that's all they are. But I guess you have to. But they're the best. Like I yeah, understand that they're the you, best team. 
it's the race you... element, I think. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's a tough one because like, like Patrick said, that, that was, that was the school. And so it is going to be tough to, to, to depict them without doing that. You probably don't want, you don't want the film to become about a thing that it's not about. And mm. I don't know whether, um, yeah, do I you do a disservice possibly... by not portraying them for who they were? I, yeah, I think, I think probably they, they, in, in this case, I would say it's less dangerous, it's less dangerous to just hint and move on. Let's not make this about, like you say, late mm. 80s West Texas race relations, because I think there's already enough going on. I think you'd do it a disservice if you dipped in that one scene in the, in the, in the dino, you know, talking about who's going to referee it. I think is is an interesting everything comes through character and it and it stops it from being too kind of preachy because i i don't know whether i'd trust peter Berg to be preachy about this what would it take for you to come up to texas stadium how about if y'all come out here where over at radliff stadium yeah i still think there'd be a problem with our fans sitting with your fans i don't see any problems we can bring in extra police to handle crowd control issues Mr. McClary, perhaps you're not aware, but we have an all-black community. And frankly, between our communities, there are some issues. Now, wait a minute. What issues are we talking about? You know, I'm not going to get into it at this table. It's just different. Within the film, it's always... it. I think it plays better without it. I think the, the wider conversation to have there is that that's when you end up with the kind of systemic issues of who gets represented in cinema and who doesn't. And I think that that becomes... Oftentimes, you know, it's individual films can just feel a bit weird and you're not really sure why, but it's when you zoom out to the wider and it's like, oh yeah, because the mostly white team is the team that we're following and the, and the entirely black team is the, is the, the opponent and that is their, their role in this is to be cast but then as that's the what opponent. the shirt colors are for, red and white. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, so it's fair it's fair to do within the context of this specific story because that's the story they're telling it then maybe just feels a little weirder in the wider context it's like oh because you know but then we could get into the Bechdel test conversation as well Gary, yeah, like yeah, with, exactly. with women because they wouldn't they w- it wouldn't pass in this movie you've got a promiscuous Melissa you've got Maria you've got uh Winchell's mum and you've got Connie mm-hmm. Britton and then you've got the woman who at the dinner table who's uh says very rude things about referring to booby as just a piece of meat in, in, in its simplest form um and you know that we get into that conversation as well you can see why a tv series would be spun out of this though far more strong stronger female like rounded characters that they are like uh, really mm. yeah in mm. the tv series oh, and connie britain cool. has a lot more to do because she's she's great let's do critics corner um did did rog do a review for this one i haven't even checked rog did yeah, uh, Roger in his three and a half stars out of four confusing system review. Um, he said, uh, at what point in American history did the phrase, it's not whether you win or lose, but how you play the game get replaced by winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. Today's teams are like surrogate nations for their fans. When your team wins, it enhances you. And it was an overall very positive review this was his written piece so there was no uh siskel uh the movie demonstrates the power of sports to involve us we don't live in odessa and are watching a game played 16 years ago but we get all wound up so he was seduced by it oh, good for rog i can i can see him yeah. in the bleachers with a, a hot dog and a little bit a little bit more mustard on that dog please <laughs> 
I remember yeah. um, at the time when I watched it with you, and I, I really sought out to look at the reviews and just think, is it? Because my, my sandwiches are well clear here. Was it me that think that that was brilliant? And I remember seeing the Empire review was five star, and then years later, Empire did this like ten most underrated films that no one's ever gone to or had. And and Friday Night Lights was fucking in there. And I was like, oh fuck yeah, it's in the top ten. Because whenever I recommend it, I've never seen it on TV or on Sky Movies mm-hmm. or on BBC or Channel. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it anywhere, even during like American football season when we come towards the Super Bowl. And I always wonder why. And, I think I tweeted <clears throat> at Channel 4 and BBC, I'm like, why don't you show this film? Because like, I want a lot of people to see it. And I was very glad at the time to see the Critics' Corner. Like, crit- It's amazing that film can do critically really well. but Not not do well domestically. Like, it didn't really do well anywhere. But like I say, there was enough, I think, enough for them to think, you know what, maybe long-form TV series is probably where they should live. I rad wiggle. Pop quiz, assholes. You <laughs> ready? Bullshit. Matt's leading two to one to one. So, all to play for. Gally, I'd like to hear what your buzzer is, please. And he can pass! <laughs> should have known. <laughs> Matt, what's your buzzer? gummit. Uh, Devlin? Oh, God. Uh, I'm just going to go with uh, Switchblade. <laughs> to, to the point that's gonna that's, that'll cut straight to it devlin very good um question one i think this will be a interesting run in for this one what's the name of the girl that billingsley falls around with on the sofa switchblade. and he can pass i got i heard a switchblade first devlin of course he did it's a shorter bloody no but i had the, the s <laughs> i had the s before you'd even started the you were too busy inhaling to project it <laughs> while he had already got the word switchblade out so devlin yes please it's uh maria maria is correct not melissa i was hoping that would fool one of you but never mind um question two what number does bb miles wear and he can pass <laughs> Gally. Number 88? Uh-uh. That's Christian's number. Son of a bitch. Switchblade. Ooh, Devlin. 45? Boom! Devlin! Oh. <laughs> well, let's see if he can get, uh, you know, if he can whitewash him. See if he can be perfect. <laughs> Devlin, can you, can you be perfect? Can you look <laughs> your other podcasters in the eyes? And, um, question three. How many pudding pops does Booby threaten to stick at Winchell's white ass? <laughs> <laughs> I went ass. It should have been ass. Uh, Matt, I had the dadgummit. When I was a boy, I used to collect uh, famous monsters of filmland uh, by uh, Forrest J. Ackerman. It had a King Kong and things like that. <laughs> Did he, did he answer the question? Or did he just go off or what? He, um. Would you, would you ask Tom Petty that? That's a really good Billy Bob Thornton. As Billy Bob would really have answered. I'm, I'm tempted to give a bonus point there, but that is incorrect. Devlin, got it. How many pudding pops? Switch by Dev. Is it 50? No. And he can pass. <laughs> is it one? It's four. Why, right. <laughs> <laughs> right, bang, Evelyn, you're up at two with Matt now. Gally's trying in with only one. Well, it's not about winning. It's not about winning, listeners. Sometimes when you win, you really <laughs> lose. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you should really watch White Man Can't Jump. What is, yeah. what is a quince? What is a quince? What is a quahog? 
right, we'll do our final thoughts. Uh, I'll start with you, Patrick, uh, as as the one of the big fans of the movie. Do you recommend Friday Night Lights, the movie, and uh, any final thoughts on it? I think it's quite a clear recommendation. I've been recommending it for years, trying to find it on TV for people and everything. Um, I've, I've lent out the DVD so many times. In fact, I haven't got the DVD back from whoever I lent it back to last time, which is a bit annoying. Um, and final thoughts on it are, I think we've covered it quite well today. Um, this is, Matt, sometimes you talk about music like being quite something that's very personal and it's yours and you're important to you. And that's how I feel about this film. I've always felt a real strong affinity towards it. Um, I class it in my top five favorite ever films. I, and I think oh, wow. I hold it in real, real Ooh. high esteem, actually. Um, and I can watch it a lot. Uh, I like to revisit it. It's a film that takes me to a kind of a feeling and an emotion that I quite enjoy lamenting in because it's not, it's not an upbeat film, really. It's not. The melancholy. There's a melancholy that I find quite attractive in the film and I think it really taps into it. At, at the time when I saw it, it opened up a whole world of American football and college ball and, and high school football that has stuck with me ever since. I, I said earlier, I've watched a TV show, I've read the book, I've got this beautiful photography book um, from the journalist, um, from Robert Clark, who followed Bissinger around when he did it. I got it for Christmas, photos from the town, the team and after. And it's... I sit through that and I'm kind of tearing up at what it was. And how, how can, how can something that happened in 1988 in a small town somewhere be so resonant across the world? And for me, and I think the film has really, really done it wonderfully. Um, I think it's edited and shot beautifully. I think it's directed really well, despite Berg, you know, like we've said, Berg, have we done anything that we like since? Not, not for me. I haven't seen the film, Devlin mentioned his first one. And I just wonder, like, is this such a flash in the pan for him that he's struck upon gold somehow and made what I deem a masterpiece? I think it is now imperfect. But for me, you know, I, th- I, I, I think it's a very personal film to me and I may not understand at home, but each, every time I watch it, I can go on different arcs, different characters and appreciate everything. The performances are incredible. It's, kind of a unique film that's high school football that has no a flamboyance or the MTV editing that Peter Berg talks about that he wanted to avoid and he didn't want to make it that um, he, he didn't want to make it like a a broad film that would attract a bigger audience he wanted to stay true to the book and, and I think that's key here he's tapped upon something that was really invoked a feeling in me um, and an atmosphere and an emotion. I could, I could go on, but I think you get the picture. I, I think it's brilliant, um, and it holds a very dear place in my heart. Gally, um, I know you liked it. So where? How are you? What about now? Well, I picked it, but I think probably you should have picked it. <laughs> go from that, Patrick. No, a beautiful summary, and I uh, uh, surmised my thoughts uh, uh, far more eloquently than I. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'm not. Uh, go for a second attempt um all i will say is i just think the film i watch it every year i watch it every year as i prepare for a new uh new season of american football the reason is that i you know i am a sucker for manipulation as you all know uh and the nfl 
and the and the commissioner have got their hooks in me and i follow <laughs> and this film does the same thing it's about human stories it's about people that you can invest in it's about people you can identify with you know i'm from a very small well, it's not a town. I'm from a, a city that is desolate now that used to be prosperous in the potteries where, you know, that's what it was renowned for. There's nothing there anymore. And, you know, God bless it. It's a bit of a shithole. Um, and it, and it has been left behind. So all of that stuff I do properly identify with. And the movie captures that and captures that kind of energy and pulls it all the way through. So I just see things despite, as you say, it being a story from 1988 about a sport that I've never played, uh, about a place that I've never visited, I somehow am able to completely uh, get involved in it. And the other thing that I love about it is that the way that it, it stru- the failure is structured within. So the game against Midland Lee that they lose prepares you for the ending. So as opposed to like being a bummer, I'm already unconsciously ready for winning isn't winning in losing you will you get your greatest victory which is actually the redemption of all these different characters and the way that they the arcs play through so yep it's a strong recommendation for me if you've never seen friday night Lights the movie please do go out and seek it out but yeah that's mine what about you devlin final thoughts i hadn't seen this in a while actually it was really good that you picked it um because i had very fond memories of of our screening of it and i watched it quite a lot around that era and then it just sort of dropped out of rotation so it'd been a good few years since i'd sat down with this one and um it really holds up extraordinarily well it's um there's a there's a real kind of balance that gets struck with it that i think a lot of other sports films don't quite capture the um i guess yeah like i was saying it's it's um it just feels like it's non-judgmentally looking at the situation and then uh the the film is delving into the emotional resonance of everything that happens around it but it's um it's not an indictment it doesn't have as it doesn't have a particular single viewpoint that it wants to take. It's not an indictment of the idea that these schools are spending too much money on sports and that they're putting these kids through it. But that is implicit within it because that is part part and parcel of the thing. And like you were saying about Stoke, it's the same thing when, you know, when Darlington used to play Hartlepool, it was the most important thing was to beat Hartlepool, despite the fact, I mean, who gives a fuck? (laughs) But at the time when I was a kid, it was like this drilled into us. So, well, we're going to smash Hartlepool. And then that way we'll actually all feel a bit better about ourselves for like a week. And, uh, um, you know, Darlington and Hartlepool. Well, so that's what they call it, isn't it? Or got bragging rights in the city. Well, 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 well done you. Have you got any money in your pocket though? No. But I got bragging rights. There, so you understand the um, you understand what it means, and you understand what it means because the film does a really good job of showing you via action. And the the sport, I think the the football sequences hold up so well, not just because they're extremely well choreographed and shot in a way that keeps them very interesting. They also don't outstay their welcome. Like all the best, any kind of scenes, like a great, a great fight scene can only be great in two ways. One, if it's unbelievably impressive, like something like the raid or two, if the fight is telling you something at every single hit about the people who are involved in it, if it's just a bunch of, it's where sometimes any given Sunday as a direct comparison falls down is that it's flashy, but you don't care here. You, you know, everything 
progresses the story, tells you something about the characters, or just gives you an emotional impact. And I think for a film that's, that's it's, it is quite long, but it's so kind of coherent, and it keeps it keeps that kind of jittery energy up for the for kind of the entire runtime. It's almost a little exhausting by the end of it. I think by the time you put you know, through the ringer. The, when the tears start flowing, it's as much because you're just like a bit tired, like a toddler in a supermarket, but just because you've been, you've been kept up and, and that's, <laughs> that's a difficult thing to do. And it is, I think Peter Berg genuinely cared. I think he had a, a, a real attachment to this material and I think he understood it inside and out. And I think that's possibly why it is as resonant as it is and why perhaps his other films don't live up to this. Um, I think it was just the right guy at the right time. And, uh, and a little bit of lightning in a bottle, and it is a shame that it's that it's not as 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 broadly known as it could be. But maybe it's quite cool that it's you know, it's like this little slightly undiscovered gem that has a, a, a the the TV show is a bit of a cultural phenomenon, and it has eclipsed it. And maybe it's you know maybe it's nice that people can sort of be surprised by this, and I think people will be people who haven't seen it. I think you'll be surprised at just how. Uh, uh, how how much it gets its hooks in. Um, so I'm kind of in an awkward spot here. So I'm going to play devil's advocate a bit because you've all been incredibly positive and I'm just going to do the other side of the coin, I think, because, you know, although I don't, I didn't hate the movie. I don't, I'm, I'm going to just voice a couple of things that maybe um, p- people might find uh, helpful i don't know i feel like i'm on my own here it's jesse james part two um <laughs> you don't seem so, to have been uh, as down on this film when we're talking as you were on jesse no james. no i'm not i'm not um uh, so it it kind of elicited a bit of a rejection in me um that i experienced when seeing something patriotic or preachy um it was like a bit like a religious faith faith-based preaching and that stuff kind of wound me up a bit i'm not sure what i mean by some of this some of it might be quite abstract but i I, these are first impressions that i that i wrote down um you're sort of ringing a patriotic america bell and that was uh, my my guard was up a little bit i don't know if you (laughs) if you're with me at all um i i i became conscious of an agenda and i think ebert hinted at it and he, he said this is not war this is football but i do think it plays is kind of allegorical um and what is a team anyway you know it's a and what is a sport it's like an army um a flag or a town or a country um it, the, the film sort of bled american and and not in a in a positive way to me and every country can be guilty of like this blind patriotism but i think that they're kind of the kings of it and it bled onto the screen a bit and it got my back up um Maybe it's because I, I'm not an American football guy. I think it might be difficult for certain people to get into. Um, and I would understand that. I'd, I'd come at it from that point of view. I, there's a scene where they're all in a circle and they're running into each other, crashing into each other for no apparent reason. It's to test the blocking skills on the field. And it's followed by a serious discussion about how important it is that you do this and that. And if you detach yourself from the sport, um, and, and those can, those scenes, you, you get what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity to quote. I think it's Pulp Fiction, but you sort of see the sport as this kind of ludicrous thing. Like it, it's, um, you know, the pageantry and the money and 
the fact that these things are televised and covered on radio, even at that level, it's all kind of over the top. And you kind of, it, it took me a while to, to come to terms with that. And we have talked about the characters and how important it is to the characters to, to help them get out of, of the, of the place that they're in. It can be their only escape. But if you're not a sports person, I don't know how, how you're going to latch onto this one or if it's even possible. The key that unlocked the film for me was when he said, we will protect this town. And I thought that line was vital because it it didn't make it about sport anymore. It was about winning to service the place that you're from, winning to please the members of your immediate family, winning to not let your friends down and winning to not let yourself down. And they, they became more universal, accessible themes. And I, I kind of latched onto it there. Um, I, I did want Berg to kind of lift the veil a bit on it and and perhaps you know the thesis could have been that the the sport isn't as important as it appears to be and that the the humanity outweighs that but i i did also feel like they were patting the patting themselves on the back and it was a celebration of america's love for for this sport as well so uh, i understand the drama of sport but it's hard to be engaged in a film where where like people fail to see the most important thing. I, I feel like American football wins the movie rather than characters. Is this making any sense? Makes sense. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't get that from what you said before. Um, and I, I still feel like this film is the American football is to the side. It's about the development of young men is the more important thing throughout. I think that maybe I'm a dummy, but um, varsity blues kind of, the thesis of that is that, you know, the Dawson kind of gets out of it. He, he realizes it's not that important. And uh, as silly as that film is, it became more satisfying to me. Maybe it's the broad, it's more broadly drawn. Like John Voigt is basically Hitler in that, in that movie. I think this is a subtler realization of it the is. kind of the, the ugly fact of life to, to say that again. And I think that that came across quite quite thoroughly American football is the, the the vehicle for them to succeed but it's ultimately about where what their place is in the world in, in terms of recommendation it sounds daft but I would recommend something daft like Varsity Blues to anyone but I would only recommend this to people who are at least interested in the sport um, I, I, I'm not sure it transcends American football well I think it's fair to say if it was Friday night you'd be doing the learning that's fair, isn't it, Matt? <laughs> you would not be at, you'd not be suiting up and going onto the field. So with that, where can our <laughs> listeners find Friday Night Lights team? Buy it. You're going to have to buy it, guys. You have to rent or buy. It looks brilliant on Blu-ray. Um, it's not on, you know, it's not a part of your rent, uh, your, um, Streaming services, streaming services it, yeah. at the moment. It hasn't been for years. I've, I've never seen it. It's one that you're going to have to seek out, listeners, which hopefully um, you do. Uh, Devlin, no villain T-shirts this week, um, but I am still waiting for my Don't Talk Down to Me T-shirt. <laughs> um, but would you please explain uh, and tell our listeners where they can find our merch? Certainly. Uh, as ever, rewindmoviecast.com. That's where we keep everything there's uh episodes links show notes etc there is a tab which is for the shop that will take you to devlin does drawing dot com 
That's where we keep Rewind MovieCast merch, t-shirts, etc. There is a tie-in artwork for several of our episodes. The artwork for uh, Cyborg, I turned it into a very uh, dirty-looking lobby card-style poster for the movie Cyborg. Uh, so that is currently up online if you want some Jean-Claude Van Damme on your walls. Uh, I have a new design for uh, Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish, uh, which is a real favorite of mine, which I hope that we will talk about on this podcast at some point or another. But as of right now, there are some t-shirts and there will be some poster prints up on my Etsy store uh, before too long. Uh, you can go to my website at devlindoesdrawing.com if you want to know more about any of that. Excellent. And listeners, if you enjoy what we do, please like, subscribe, share, spread the gospel. That's all we ask. Uh, please leave a review on Spotify if you haven't or on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts that's all we ask of our, of our listeners isn't it that, that they be perfect can they be perfect <laughs> being perfect you've been hearing me talk about it for a while and it's about writing five star reviews okay <laughs> here we go um, we will say our goodbyes Billingsley party at Taylor's house now Billingsley you better be there we're gonna get wasted party at Taylor's house Billingsley it's Gally in Glasgow <laughs> signing out. I'm not going out drunk and bowling. Here's Devlin in London. Boys, my heart's full. My heart's full. It's, Pat- it's Patrick in London. Go Mojo. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. <laughs>